yeah, like I said, this isn't like this epic, heroic, I did everything perfect story. This is like one of those where um, a lot of luck was involved. And um, there's a, I had hair when I started, by the way, too. Um, <laughs> so that tells you something. So we started to get, um, we were, I learned the biggest catalyst to, I would say, the transition as to where this, it honestly, from zero to exit was 18 months. Okay. Wow. Um, and now the catalyst to that, we were like, we were cooking along about a year, about 10 months in, uh, the payment processor that we were using um, is basically, I don't know, I'll just say Stripe. We were using Stripe as a payment processor. And I got a crash course in the rules of payment processing. Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your business. I'm the executive producer of the show, Colin Morgan, and today we have a very special and very unique episode as John Warlow is joined by entrepreneur John Whiting. But before we get there, I would highly recommend that you head over to builttosell.com. As you're about to hear, there's a blacklist for entrepreneurs that you do not want to find yourself on. And for information on how to avoid getting on that list, head over to builttosell.com. Also, if you have a guest that you feel like would be perfect for this show, we highly encourage you to go to builttosell.com slash nominate and either nominate a guest or yourself. Some of the best episodes that John has done have been from guests that have been nominated. So again, head over to builttosell.com slash nominate. Okay, now let's jump in to today's episode. Now, I love to succeed, as I'm sure you do as well. However, oftentimes we can learn more from our failures rather than our successes. And this holds true in life and in business. For example, we can look at the story of Ariana Huffington, who got rejected by 36 publishers. Or Bill Gates, who watched his first company, Trafo Data, completely crumble. Many of you may not know that George Steinbrenner, before owning the New York Yankees, actually bankrupted a small basketball team called the Cleveland Pipers. Walt Disney, at one point, was told he lacked creativity, and Steve Jobs was even booted from his own company. One could make an argument that without failure, there would be no success. And this is why we are introducing a new series here on Built to Sell Radio called The Grinder, where during these episodes, we will bring you stories of exits that didn't go as well as the owner had hoped so that you can learn from their mistakes and hopefully avoid making the same ones yourselves. Now, just a note, the Grinder series, we're not going to bring you consistently. This is going to be a series that if there is a great story, we feel like it provides value, we'll bring it to you, but we're not abandoning our current format and current approach. And as I mentioned, the first guest that is joining John on this series is John Whiting, who in 2017 started a company called Digital Kryptonite with the goal to provide business owners with more leads. Very simple. Using LinkedIn, he was able to quickly grow his customer base and his company from zero to seven figures within a year. All seemed to be going well until John received a phone call one Friday afternoon that would turn his dream business into a nightmare. Here to tell you how he fell into the grinder himself is John Whiting. Enjoy. John Whiting, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. 
Hey, thanks for having me, man. Great to uh, great to finally meet. Yeah, it's great. I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. So, digital kryptonite. First of all, I love the name. Tell me thanks. about what you guys offer. What is digital kryptonite? Yeah, so digital kryptonite was uh, before I sold it, um, basically just a straight up lead gen uh, marketing agency. So we did mostly outbound, focused on LinkedIn and cold email. Uh, before everybody else got on that bandwagon. So we were doing like LinkedIn automation outbound before I must get it like, was even a thing. I must get five guys on LinkedIn reach out to me every single day <laughs> saying, hey, we can get you three leads a day. Like, it's unbelievable. Uh, I, it's, we started that. So <laughs> You're to blame, man. You're to blame. I know, we are. We single-handedly like broke LinkedIn. So we had... Um, <laughs> we. We did LinkedIn outbound automation before there were any restrictions. Got it. So you could literally send unlimited messages, and it was great. Um, wow. We did really well. But also, um, anyway, so we, that's, that was our thing. We did outbound uh, automation, and um, we had you know, 400 clients. Um, and then along the way, I created a, a course and sold a course on how we did it. And then 3,000 people bought that. Um, and then some of them started their own outbound agencies and started. So we, uh, I created a snowball monster and I apologize for anybody listening to this, that either you're, you're LinkedIn, you're, you're upset that the restrictions are ridiculous now, or you're upset that you get 87 people messaging you a day on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's probably my bad in some way, shape, or form. That's so awesome. I apologize. The mea culpa. I love it. Well, listen, it's it's interesting because you're right. In the early days, it was a, a bit more loose. So how did you, in the early days, price your offering? What was the business model? Yeah, so, even okay, so can I take maybe a step back? Because yeah. before it was, like, when, we, when I first, quote, unquote, started the agency, um, I was in a place where I had like maybe like five grand to my name and I had bought a course online about social media marketing and I couldn't get leads for it. And I was offering, I had a history of like doing graphic arts and video and some marketing stuff and I knew tech stuff pretty well. And I was just like, I don't know, I think I could probably make a business out of this. And, um, so I was the guy who offered everything agency thing, right? I was going to do whatever I could do like straight out of your book. Right. And, um, so for about probably eight months, I was just on the whole struggle to get clients bus. And I was just like literally doing anything that anyone would pay me to do and just, you know, trying to figure it out. Then I read your book <laughs> and I'm not, and there's no joke. Like, that's why I was excited to get on with you. I'm like, dude, like you completely changed the game for me of like how I think about things. Huh. So, um, you are Alex read, Stapleton. <laughs> What's that? You are Alex Stapleton, the guy in the book. Yeah, exactly. No, for real. I was just, I didn't have a Range Rover though. Like I had, <laughs> it was more of a, you know, not a Range Rover. Um, it was an old infinity. Anyway, um, so I read your book and I'm just like, oh, I'm offering way too many things. I need to choose one thing. Uh, what do people want? And then I got into basically... I found this whole LinkedIn outbound thing that was like, there was a software that was doing it at the time. This is how early this was in the game. And I was just like, Oh, let's try this. And I wrote a message, sent out a few messages. I like booked a call and I was just like, Oh, that's cool. I was going to book the call for all the other crap that I was offering. 
right? The guy, the first guy I get on a call with, he goes, so tell me about your LinkedIn marketing strategy and how you can do that for me. And I'm like, well, let me tell you what it is. <laughs> I just totally made it up on the spot and made up a price on the spot. And it started out as like, I wanted to be really like, I don't kind of don't know what I'm doing. And I just sold something that I don't know really how I'm going to fulfill for somebody else, but we're going to see how this goes. Um, and this was in April of 2018. Okay. So I started this whole thing in like July, 2017. Um, and it was just scraping along, like doing next to nothing, relatively speaking. So this guy, I think the first one that I sold was like, oh, it's a thousand a month and it's month to month. And what I do is I craft a message and do the targeting and I have an automation tool that does all this cool stuff and I, whatever. He's like, that sounds great. So thousand bucks collected right then and there. And um, so it was a month to month, very low ticket thing. Then I got on another call, sold another one, got another call. Sold another one, just kept raising the price. I think by like the sixth call, I was at like two grand a month. I was like, okay. And what did you guarantee for that? Or, or did you guarantee anything? Like what yeah, did you offer so, 2K? Um, let me reorient myself back to there. I think it was, it started as like a satisfaction guarantee type of a situation where I was just like, I don't know if this is going to work or not, to be honest with you. Um, and, um, but the first, like, we were crushing it because there was no restrictions, <laughs> just, you know, volume of outbound will return a percentage of inbound. And, um, so that's what we did. And, um, like real quick, I had, um, I think that first month of doing that, I collected like $38,000 in cash. And that was like, the previous month for reference was like maybe $3,000 in cash doing random, stupid, small stuff. Um, and it got to the point where I was like, there's a demand for this. We do it one way. Um, the only other thing that I had a history with doing was cold email outbound. And so I'm like, Oh, we'll call that our business bundle. And you get LinkedIn outbound and cold email outbound. And it's going to be 3,500 a month. Um, and so we just start, I, we, I just started selling this and I got to a point where I was just like, my calendar is too full. Like I have too many calls. I, by demand just needed to hire somebody. And, um, there was actually another Canadian, a friend of mine in Nova Scotia that, uh, had just been a friend and sharp guy. Um, I'm like, I need some help and, um, hired him and another friend of mine who was pretty like, he's like a golden retriever. He's like, everybody loves him just tail wagging, ready for whatever kind of a guy. And I was just like, I need somebody to like take these calls. Like we need to build some infrastructure for this. Like we could do, you know, hundred grand a month or whatever, you know? And, um, so those are the first two guys. I'm like, look at my calendar. And it was just like, just filled, like literally no white space, like 15 calls a day type of a thing. And I was just like, I need somebody to take these. Here's what you say. It's really easy. We're going to guarantee you leads or your money back. Um, who's doing the creative for the campaigns, the emails, both the messages on LinkedIn and the, yeah. And the so campaigns. we had a, we had a template, um, that basically was very straightforward. Like ours was like, Hey, my name is John Whiting, CEO of digital kryptonite. 
uh, we've generated X amount of leads for Y amount of businesses over Z period of time. Um, and it's totally guaranteed. If, would you like to chat? It was something like very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a direct call to action, just to either reply or to make things easy, go to this booking link to find a time and you just put like a Calendly link. And that, so that was your outreach, but you're offering to do yep. this for clients. So Correct. financial advisors, so real estate agents, the first few people I did it and I just basically like filled in their information okay. in my little template and did the same, did the same thing. So that's where the template came from. And it was like, we had like a five message sequence or something like that over. And it was basically the same message. And you mentioned five. there was software involved. Did you third yeah. party license something that you were using to do this, these sort of follow-up? Yeah. Or so um, this software that we use no longer exists. In fact, I think there's so much crackdown now that I don't, I don't know. I've been out of the LinkedIn game for so long. Thank God. Um, that I don't even know what is relevant today, to be honest, but there was a software that I don't believe it's around still. Um, but it was a dream. It was also, so we were like their biggest client immediately. Mm. Um, and we kind of had this whole, it was kind of a white label type thing. It was kind of, we were buying it in bulk type thing. I was spending probably way too much money on it, but our margins were still like 50% even after everything. And like most of our expenses like went to them. Um, so let but, me just get underneath that. Your yeah. margins were 50%. So after you paid the guy in Nova Scotia and the golden retriever, you still were netting 50% after, yeah. Yeah. after all that. Got it. So yeah. you go from 3K a month doing a whole bunch of stuff to all of a sudden you're doing $30,000, $40,000 a month. Oh, and an accelerated quickly after that, like month one was like 32 K month two was like maybe like 48, 81. And then I think we had a down month for some reason. I forget why. And it went back down to like 56 or something like that. Then we got together and we're like, okay, like it was literally four months into it. Just all of a sudden we had this landslide and like a hundred clients, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so a lot of, uh, learning on the fly grew way too fast, way too fast. Um, and so we were just like scrambling to put together infrastructure and I was kind of at the time just, um, just, I don't know, we're going to pour more, pour more on, pour more on, um, you know, Grant Cardone, 10 X (laughs) style. Like I was just like top line, let's go. Yeah. And, um, in hindsight, that was pretty dumb, but, um, I want to get to that in a second before, as you know, I want to just, I think a lot of people listening, you know, if they've read the book or they've heard other stories and built this on radio, they, they've heard this idea of uh, really zeroing in on one thing before. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, yeah, but that sounds great, but I'd be walking away from a whole bunch mm. of revenue. Or, you know, it's not going to be that big a deal if I just take on a couple of clients or a couple of customers and do this other stuff they're asking for. I guess how did you reconcile that in your mind and what gave you the confidence to go all in on lead gen effectively and, and not continue to offer the, the stuff that yeah. fell outside of your sweet spot? Good question. Um, I would say the biggest and this is not to stroke your ego, but the biggest cat, the biggest, uh, catalyst to that was I just kept reminding myself of what's in your book. To be honest <laughs> with you. Um, 
And because of that story just paints such a wonderful picture. And also I looked at what do people another, I don't even know how this kind of came to be because there was a bunch, I've gone through a bunch of trainings and courses and seminars and whatever, like and read a bunch of books and whatever. I forget exactly how this one assimilated, but it became a key as well is really, I think it was actually from uh, Keith Cunningham, um, find out what they want, go out and get it and give it to them. <laughs> and what I was selling and what most people do uh, is trying to sell people what they want to sell them, not what they want to buy. And so I, I actually did a survey um, as part of this where I was like, hey, what are your biggest challenges, basically? And they all came back, need more leads, need more leads, need more leads, need more leads. And I was just like, well, nobody said I need more graphic arts. Nobody said I need more literally anything else. They're just like, I need more leads. So I might as well sell leads. <laughs> and so it was just more like sell people what they want to buy and then also remind myself of just the basic principle of like the assembly line of just making between your book and the e-myth, the whole assembly line, stamping it out and making it just completely SOP'd um, into a system. I'm just like, well, you can't do that with multiple things. And anytime you're spent on the other thing, it's the opportunity cost that's robbing you of the time and production of really making your assembly line an asset rather than a one-off cash grab. Mm -hmm. And so that especially is like everybody you get on the phone with basically buys like with this particular offer at that particular time in those circumstances, it was pretty, it wasn't that hard because our shiny object syndrome, like there was no shiny object that was outselling this, that people demanded more. So it wasn't like that hard, but also, you know, it, it, I, I do definitely, and I still to this day remind myself, like, okay, one thing, keep it simple. One thing, keep it simple. One thing, one thing. Yeah. You strike me as a as a as a creative person. You did you did work in video and graphic arts and so forth. Was there ever a time when you felt uneasy about giving up that creative part of running an agency? Uh, good question. So no because I still get to apply those skills here in my own business for my own. And, and that's actually easier because I'm only doing it for one thing now. And I can actually focus on making the one thing as good as the one thing could be rather than spreading it super thin. Um, so it all actually, it was kind of one of those where like all the, all the tumblers in the lock just kind of fit together. And um, that was for, for a while, that was the combination. Got it. So you're, you're growing like stink, uh, you know, 30 to 48 to 81. Um, what happens next? Yeah. So, uh, and I, luckily I have reasonable foresight. So I was, I'm like, okay, this probably isn't going to last forever. This whole LinkedIn thing. Um, and so there was a part of me also being like, this is the first time I've actually like made good money. I mean, at the time that was very good money. Um, and so I was just kind of like, I don't know how long this is going to last. So I'm going to milk it for all it's worth <laughs> as fast as humanly possible. Um, and so what happened next is we kept growing, to be honest with you. I just kept plugging more people into the seats and duplicating the whole process. So instead of running outbound from like just my profile on LinkedIn, 
we did it from like we hired a new sales guy and we just optimized their profile, plugged in all our copy and our graphics and whatever, and then ran outbound from their profile. So now every salesperson basically acts as their own appointments that are totally hands free. And so now we're just basically like stamping out our process more and more. Um, what started to happen, uh, we, I mean, we got well into the multiple six figure months. Um, and what started to happen was inevitably there started to be actually within about eight, nine months, um, there started to be some additional restrictions on LinkedIn and we knew that. So we were like scrambling to supplement. We had like 23 account managers at that point because we just had so many clients. Um, all of them got basically onboarded in a fast, uh, trial by fire type manner. <laughs> and it was just not, it was fast, man. Like everything was so damn fast. So what began to happen, um, and one of the things that I've learned along the way is you, you'll, you'll die as fast as you grow. So if you grow very, very fast, you'll die probably just as fast. And that, um, Sounds like there's a story there. You learned that somehow. <laughs> oh, well, this is the, yeah, like I said, this isn't like this epic, heroic, I did everything perfect story. This is like one of those where um, a lot of luck was involved. And um, there's a, I had hair when I started, by the way, too. Um, <laughs> so that tells you something. So we started to get, um, we were, I learned the biggest catalyst to, I would say, the transition as to where this, it honestly, from zero to exit was 18 months. Okay. Wow. Um, and now the catalyst to that, we were like, we were cooking along about a year, about 10 months in, uh, the payment processor that we were using, um, is basically, I don't know, I'll just say Stripe. We were using Stripe as a payment processor and I got a crash course in the rules of payment processing. Um, when you sign up for a merchant account, they don't tell you that there's a thing called a dispute rate that you need to stay under 1%. Um, even some, and I had some, I was lucky enough to have some business advisors that, you know, very successful in their own right, but weren't experts in credit card processing. So I'm like, we're kind of cruising along at like, I like a 2% dispute rate on Stripe. And we were winning every dispute. So our, our guarantee kind of changed from, um, you know, satisfaction to guaranteed volume. And then we had a whole ver a list of definitions of here's a level one lead, a level two lead, a level three lead, you're guaranteed X amount of these amount of leads and Y time, blah, blah, blah. We had a whole rules of the game laid out, um, uh, along the way. And we were winning any dispute that we got, which is when you have 400 client, like you're just bound to have a small percentage of people that are not thrilled. Um, but I'm like, hey, 98% we're doing all right. I thought that was pretty good. And everybody that I consulted with, they're like, yeah, that's fine. If you're winning the dispute, who cares? And I'm like, okay. You know, what are you going to do? Like, I don't, you don't know what you don't know. When you wanted to, and I'm not familiar with this dispute rate uh, figure, so this is really interesting for me. Oh, okay, when good. You, when you won the dispute, did they strike that from your record and say, okay, he's actually only got a 1.8%. No. Nope. So that's the beauty of payment processing and credit. I, I know way, I know so much about credit card processing at this point because of this, it's disgusting. So, um, 
even so if, if you win, win a dispute, dispute, you don't get the credit for that. It still yes. counts. You'll get the money, yeah. but you don't get the, they don't wipe the dispute from your record. Got it. Yeah, I I'm with you. didn't know that. I didn't know a lot at this point. I was just knew that people were buying how we were selling the thing that we were selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, we had a lot of amazing case studies and testimonials and, and, and like, it was great. Um, and I just assumed like, well, I guess that's just part of the deal. I don't like what, I guess that's just part of the deal. What am I expect? Everybody is going to be perfect experience all the time. Like that's just unrealistic. So that was my rationale because that's the best I had at the time. So I got a note notice from Stripe that basically says, Hey, your dispute rate is way too high. We're going to shut you down. If it doesn't, you don't bring it down. Now, the only way to bring it down is volume of transactions. And I'm just like, well, I'm not going to have a thousand more transactions in the next five days than I previously, like, what am I going to do? So I just moved to a different merchant processor and then Stripe shut down that account. And I put in all of the bells and whistles to charge back notifications. And like, I learned my lesson. I'm sorry, my bad. And so I moved to a different merchant processor. And for about three months, we processed perfectly zero disputes, it was great until about Friday, uh, some Friday afternoon, almost maybe almost exactly like, I guess, four, four years ago now. Well, maybe three years ago now. Yeah. 2019, April, something or other 2019 on a Friday at 4:30 PM, I get a call from, it was a bank of America merchant processing because that's who I was banking with at the time. That's who I did my merchant processing with. I was thinking I was developing a relationship and we were able to talk to somebody because at Stripe, you can't call anybody and like talk to a person. Um, it's just a crapshoot. Um, so they're like, hey, uh, just to let you know, effective five minutes ago, your merchant account is shut down. And I'm like, why, sir? <laughs> He's like, well... Uh, we got a notification that you've been placed on the match list. Do you know what the match list is, John? I do not. I'm dying to know, though. (laughs) Look at this. All right. I'm teaching John Warlow something. I love it. This is great. Um, What is the match list? (laughs) Oh, Google it. All of you listening or watching to this, Google the match list and do whatever you have to to not be on it. It's kind of like uh, being on an FBI's most wanted list and trying to be a good citizen in (sighs) the United States. It's like the list you don't want to be on if you're an entrepreneur and you accept credit cards, it's wow. like okay. one of the few things that you can really, that can really screw up your entire life. Um, so here I am finding myself on it. And it was for like, there's all reason codes and whatever. And the only person who can take you off the match list is who put you on the match list. And by the way, it's kind of like, uh, when you get on the match list, it's kind of like being on a, you know, like don't approve this person for like a car or a mortgage or a whatever. Like it's being on the list that an underwriter would cross check when deciding whether to approve you for something. So um, I'm on this list. Great. How do I get off? Well, if you go and Google match list and just mess around, um, it's ugly. Like, it's very ugly. People are on blogs and forums just like, yeah, we got put on there and I had to go back and get a job because I couldn't get credit card press. Like, it was just, it was really, (laughs) it was a slap in the face. So, and we had around 400 clients on monthly recurring. What's your burn rate at 
this point. So you've got, do you have full-time employees or are these contractors that you uh, contractors? Okay. So they're, so they're contractors. But still so they, we were paying, you know, kind of bases and like, it was, it was kind of janky to be honest. Okay. So what's the burn, what's your burn rate at? Like when the burn rate's not the right choice of words. What is your payroll at this stage of the game? Like how much money are you paying out in terms of it's a good question. Like, effectively fixed expenses that you can't. Yeah. At that point, our margins were about 35%. So I would say anywhere between like 80 and 150 a month, something like that. $150,000 a month. Yeah. In sort of fixed expenses going out the door. And so yeah. you are. I mean, I, that's don't don't take that to the bank and cash no, it and just it in stone. But it yeah. was, you know, it wasn't insignificant. Yeah. I wanted to give people a sense that this is not a few, you know, you, you're, it's not a few thousand dollars that you could probably no. drive out a couple of months. No, this is no. like catastrophic when you get on. This is, yeah, this is yeah. brutal. Uh, yeah. It was so at the time you're, terrible. you're, you're roughly <laughs> somewhere in the hundred to $200,000 a month in revenue couple million yeah, bucks a year and in revenue. We were, we were actually beyond that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but it was, um, we were, you know, uh, north of two. North of two. Okay. That's, that's helpful for folks. And they, but, but just for perspective, I think everybody who runs a business with employees can imagine yeah. that one day your revenue just stops. Yeah. Like, well, here's cold. the thing. We luckily were a resourceful bunch. Um, and um, we've been, we had been used to literally this whole time, like just plugging the holes in the boat with bubblegum type of a thing and just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> keep doing that. Meanwhile, pour more gas on. We're going to, we're going to keep, we're going to go faster, boys. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was something else. Um, so we couldn't accept credit cards. What we did was literally over the weekend, we found this thing that basically is like recurring ACH e-checks. Okay. And we're like, all right, well, at the very least we can transfer everybody. Like we know we're going to lose, we're going to have some client fall off because who the hell wants recurring e-checks? Like I don't want recurring e-checks, you know, <laughs> like, um, on anything that I pay for. So anyway, we lost probably, it was it was maybe like twenty percent of our client base. In the we had all of our account managers, all hands on deck. We had to like you know, hey, for due to processing fees and whatever on our end, and whatever, we're gonna make it more convenient for you and give you a five percent discount or whatever because of that. When we switch over to this, uh, and we lost like probably twenty percent of our club, but we were still like multiple six figures a month. And we actually successfully transferred everything to e-checks. I couldn't believe it, to be that honest. It blows my mind. It blew my mind. I, I was just, yeah, I was, uh, that's when the hair started really falling out, you know? Um, Help but me we got to a point. Yeah, go ahead. Some, some of the, the sort of skeptics in the audience are, are saying something doesn't add up here. So, you know, <laughs> Stripe's not in the business of kicking people off their platform. They're they are not. actually. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing the role of the skeptic here, and yeah. and I'm you know they're not they they want customers to be processed, and certainly Bank of America doesn't just go around mm. you know kicking people off their platform. And where there's smoke, there's fire. Here, he must have been doing something shady. 
and that's what they, of course, the match. That's the rationale, right? Right. Anytime you have a dispute rate over one percent, which I still think is extraordinarily low, but because yeah. the the a credit card pro, or a processing company is holding a lot of risk uh, for a number of different reasons, and because Stripe is an aggregator basically, and they're going for volume. What they're doing is they just have internal triggers that, like, if this, then that triggers that have some sort of an algorithm like a social media algorithm. So there's people that I know that have been processing on Stripe. They're like, oh, shit, we've been above 2% for like a year and nothing's happened. And I'm just like, you just literally won the lottery. Like, we were like 2.14% when we got shut down and put on the match list. Like, there's companies that I know today that are even clients of mine that, have been in the past or are currently playing with fire. They just don't know it. Okay. I think that's, that's, so it was Stripe that put you on the match list. Correct. It was Stripe that put me on the match list. And then that there must be some sort of a system that like broadcasts a match list update to every credit card processing company. And then that notifies the person who's at the risk department Ah, that says all of a sudden your client that match yeah. their social security number, their EIN number, their name, their address, their phone number, their email, all is on the match list. So it's not just the entity. It's your yeah. personal information as the signer. Yeah. So it's I not like it I could now. just I go get, get another yeah. merchant account. <laughs> I think what I was lost on is I, I thought it was Bank of America that you oh, put no, on the no, match no. list. And, they, and so I was kind of trying to figure out, like, how, how come they've got uh, the same yeah. problem? But no, it makes sense. Stripe freaked out, put you on the match list. It propagated through the processing juggernaut or the big engine. And then Bank of America was like, holy crap, this guy's on the match list. We got to get him off this platform. Got it. That is super helpful. So you go to ECH. Amazingly, you get 8% of your customers to switch, which blows my mind. Like, that's incredible. You guys must have, you know, an amazing ability to kind of convince customers because that's... (laughs) So where does it go from there? Um, So from there... Um, at this point, I'm just like, all right, how do I make it to where like, I don't like my risk at this level, at this point, like I'm just learning lessons, rapid fire, like all the hard way. Right. And I'm like, so at this point, I'm just like, okay, I'm just trying to like, not have personal like bankruptcy and lawsuits and shit. Like, I, was I that on the table, John? Like, how would you have personally gone bankrupt through this business? Like, what was the sequence of events that could have, um, that? I guess at the time I didn't know what I didn't know. So you just like kind of picture the worst case scenario of like, I don't know what I don't know. And then like, but I mean, did you personally sign with these merchant accounts? Did you, was it your personal, did they have recourse to you personally? Yep. And did you, did you have, do you have like a spouse and kids and a house? Like what's your situation? Um, At the time we were renting a house. Uh, At the time I was not married. So a little bit better. Um, but still like, you don't want to have your credit ruined or like, I'm like, God forbid, like, and, and by the way, meanwhile, LinkedIn is continuing to crack down and crack down and crack down, therefore making our results harder to get, harder to get, harder to get. So it's like this perfect storm of like less good and all this crap at the same time. So like, not only like, we're not necessarily like totally crushing it as we, like we were a year before. Got it. And my team was all just like scrambling for random jury rig solutions for stuff. And like, you know, we still got to deliver on our promise because it's what we got to sell. And like, it was, it was a patchwork 
it was a very good, solid patchwork show. Yeah. But and, we and still like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the margins had gone from 50 to 35, indicating that it was getting harder to get the same result than it was in the early Correct. days. Yeah. Yeah. Go and on. we were kind of at a point to where, because like each account manager had like 30 people that they managed that we realized that that was kind of the capacity of a given account manager. Um, and their job was basically to make sure that like the thing was running and basically be the point of contact. How did the, the getting on the match list, the move to ECH affect your churn rate among account managers? Mm. Um, you know, we had a culture that was like, real solid to be honest with you and uh, like people wanted to be there to be around honestly me and my uh my two main guys but like the loyalty the we're gonna figure it out attitude was just like everybody was all hands on deck we're gonna figure out a solution damn it (laughs) like that was that was it so we didn't have like a mass exodus in fact like everybody kind of like doubled down their efforts and like really wanted to make it work. And like, but couldn't they have basically taken what you taught them and put out their own shingle and say, like, I'm leaving whiting. He's a hundred percent with a hundred percent. And that's, but so I guess didn't. that kind of leads us to the short version is, um, we had one of our clients that, uh, was like super thrilled with us. Um, and, while I was actually on a, uh, on a vacation, that client approached, um, basically my first in command, if you want to call it that, um, head of fulfillment was basically the acting president of the company kind of a thing, um, reached out to him and said, Hey, we're looking to add a marketing company to our portfolio for these reasons. You guys are awesome. Can we buy you? And so I got a text message while I was on a vacation uh, like, Hey, somebody wants to buy digital kryptonite. I'm like, great. Uh, and out. <laughs> right. Um, they can have I, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so basically about a month and a half later, um, like I was, I was very transparent with everything that went on. And I'm like, honestly, all you guys need to do is create a new entity so that you can have credit cards processed and literally just go back to like, just plug all this in there. Like the, their big bottleneck here is like that hurts sales. Cause people are like, can I just put it on my Amex? No ACH. I don't give you, I want to give you my bank information. All right. Like, fuck. <laughs> so excuse my language. Um, but yeah, that was yeah, basically no. the, that was the deal. So, um, I was real transparent throughout the whole process. Cause it's not like they're not going to find out. Um, and we got down to it and, um, there was just, you know, the terms that we agreed on, it was more of kind of, uh, I had a lifeboat, um, than a huge win exit. It was more, how do I get rid of this in a way that doesn't totally screw everyone over? Um, that doesn't ruin my reputation that doesn't, you know, ruin my life. <laughs> how do I get, I was looking for an out, like, how do I, this monster that I've created, how do I kill it without taking everything with me? Um, and it really, that was from my perspective. Like we, again, most, we did a really good job. We couldn't have the retention that we had and whatnot without doing a really good job for the most part. But I will tell you the small percentage of crap 
that was constantly laid on thick and I'm the guy like I'm, you know, the, the personal guarantor on everything and like it all falls back on me and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm up against. I also don't really, I'm not enjoying this game anymore. I know where I screwed up and I'm just like, how do I, is it, I'm like also like, I don't really want to like fix it. Like it was, it was more like, I just want to go. And at the time I was also concurrently begun coaching people in certain aspects of marketing and sales and whatnot, and then selling uh, some courses. And it's just a much higher leverage business, way less people involved. I was making more money with that than I was with the agency. And I'm just like, why am I doing like, the only reason I still have this is because it's all on my back at this point. And, um, I couldn't just like hand the entity over to like my guys because the entity was on the match list. And so it was this whole thing. Um, so anyway, these guys came in and, uh, we made a deal and long story short, they essentially took it off my plate. Um, I think when you're, when you're describing John, the, the, just the feeling of heaviness that comes with being the personal guarantor that you've you know, you you kind of create in your own words, created a monster. Like this thing is going down the tracks and you can't stop it. Yeah. And you're, you're personally on the hook. I think it would be helpful for folks to just understand in what way you were personally obliged, like on the hook. So if I'm, if I'm kind of thinking this through, you're, you're doing a couple million in sales a year the algorithm, the, the tactics you're working that you that used to work really, really well on LinkedIn are not working as well. So your margins are lower. Yep. You're scrambling from Stripe to Bank of America, from Bank of America to eCheck, and you're, now you're. I'm. A, I'm just trying to think about like if if eCheck had said no, we're not going to process your ECH. Then you're back in the same boat again. Yeah. Was that the concern or was it more like what was Yeah, the, basically was like the, I would have had to, it, like if we can't deliver and if we can't deliver the result right that people are paying for guess who has to issue refunds. And if I don't issue refunds then I risk getting sued. Now the good news I've learned a lot about and since then what my real liability was with each person but still like when you have a couple hundred clients like and that all goes to hell at once one lawsuit like it's going to cost you at least 10 grand to sue somebody anyway so if your contract value was eight thousand dollars you're not going to spend ten thousand dollars to sue for eight thousand dollars so then you just like then it's okay the liability is i piss that person off mm-hmm <laughs> which I don't want to do anyway, but at least that's like not going to put me in a position aside from they don't like John Whiting. (laughs) Um, But then you have 200 people that don't like John Whiting and you have 200 people that are like, oh, you got screwed over too? class action lawsuit. You know, and I'm just like, well, I don't know how close I am to I don't like it's one of those where I don't know how close I was to death. You know, like I'm sure there's a there was a thing that I saw from Gary V that I thought was pretty funny. He's like, I hope in heaven there's a thing where you get to look back and ask a question like, Hey, show me the time that I was closest to death. And I had no idea, you know, it's like the time you, you know, whatever. So I didn't, I don't know. Right. And so you just like, 
I'm, I'm always kind of a, I plan for a worst case scenario and I'm looking for what's the worst case scenario here. And I'm like that, I could see that happening, you know, like that there, that's not out of the realm of possibility, especially if like all of a sudden LinkedIn was like, Hey, we're halting our thing entirely because it's so gotten out of hand. Like that could happen at any moment. And so now I'm like, I don't, I can't issue hundreds of thousands of dollars of refunds. Like what am I, from where, <laughs> you know, like, so, um, that was kind of my biggest concern is like, can't that liability there that it ended up being fine. But like, what would I have done if everything, like, I don't know, <laughs> like, to be honest with you, um, I, I guess I would have had a conversation with every single client individually and I, I'm relatively persuasive. I'm sure I would have worked something out with all 200 and whatever there were one by one. And then my whole entire account manager team would have, their whole job would have been tasked with schedule those calls. But if they're like, Hey, if we're going to hell, why am I, why would I be incentivized to schedule those calls? So how fast can you get through 225 calls one-on-one -on -one with all these people? That's going to take like a month. So the people that have their call scheduled in three weeks, they could just be like, screw it. I'm just going to sue the guy. Hmm. Right. So it's just like, or then I have to somehow incentivize my other two guys out of the goodness of their heart to work out deals of their own. You know what I mean? So it's just the, the scenarios weren't the most fun to contemplate. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, as a lay person, and again, I don't know this world terribly well. So I, I'm asking this question as a lay person, but I'm looking at it saying, you know, a 2%, uh, whatever you call it, dispute rate, means that 98% of customers are happy and they're paying their bill and, you know, like I know. delivery. So <laughs> I know. On, as a, from my perspective, I'm saying, why was John so worried? Because he had happy customers. 98% of them were happy. Sure, everybody has, a, you know, one or two customers that aren't happy and you deal with them and that's fine. But, but you seem to bear this quite heavily personally. And I'm wondering yeah. if that was, um, if that's in your nature to, 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 to kind of really worry or obsess about the downside or whether that there was something else in play mm. that made it so heavy. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. hundred percent. I would say there wasn't like one thing. It was also, it was just like when you don't know what you don't know, it, it, like if you don't know the rules of the game, it's tougher to play the game confidently, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, I didn't know what I was up against. You know, maybe I, if I had a conversation with a guy like you, you could have been like, Oh, you're fine for these reasons. And I would have been like, Oh, I didn't know that. Right. So mm -hmm. like, I was like, everybody that I talked to was just like, Oh, that doesn't seem like a big deal. And then all of a sudden I get shut down and placed on the blacklist of entrepreneurship. Like, I'm like, that's probably not good. You know, it's just like, you don't get sent to jail for no reason. Yeah. But everybody that I had talked to was like 98%, you're fine. And you're winning the disputes. Like you're fine. I'm and, like, and, and just to be clear, the, the legal structure of your company, was it incorporated? Mm -hmm. So you had the protection of being a legally incorporated company. But if yeah. I'm reading between the lines, you thought you could have also been sued personally. Well, you can sue anybody for anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
Yeah. So with a, and that's the, like, that's the thing. It's just like, that's level one of assumption. I, I guess at this point, like I've just seen so many scenarios that have broken the rules of general assumptiveness, like that one, that I'm like, I'm not going to assume anything at this point. And that also like, it weighs on you when like, even when you say 98% are happy, that doesn't mean 98% were like over the moon thrilled, referring everybody and their dog. That just means 98% we were able to keep them on, you know? So especially with the declining, like our service was declining because of the restrictions and there were only, there's only so many, workarounds. How long did um, people on average stay as customers? Like how many months would the typical person stay? I think it was maybe four, something like that. Like our best part of this whole thing was client acquisition. Our delivery was good enough to say we delivered, you know, and there was of course a small, a, a percentage of people that were the testimonials that we got that we put out front to sell more of it. But like as a like I wasn't it got to a point to where I was proud of it in the beginning because it really worked and did a great job. I just became less feel I just felt less good about what we were selling over time. And it's not like I and I was in a position where I like couldn't stop selling it because we needed the upfront cash flow from new sales to basically battle the churn of lost clients. Did you also hired. charge some sort of um, kind of setup fee setup, or upfront yeah. fee or what was yeah. that as a percentage of the, the monthly? Um, so it was one of those things. Okay. It, it was maybe a couple grand upfront. I'll just as a simple answer, something yeah. like that. Um, and then we had a couple additional like bells and whistle things that we added on in certain scenarios that, you know, improved LTV. Um, got it. Got it. But it okay. wasn't, it wasn't glorious. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so what was your reaction? I kind of put words in your mouth earlier, but when, when a client called you and said, Hey, you guys are doing great for us. We want to buy you. Mm. You were away. What was your reaction? Sweet. <laughs> you know, not because of, I knew I was going to make a, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but because I'm like, I, for literally the previous like eight months, my entire ex- like I hated waking up in the morning and doing what I was about to do that day. Hated it. Just it was awful. I, I, I literally I'd get up, I'd call merchant account merchant processors. They're all the way they're structured is basically their job, the sales guy, their job is to get as many applications as humanly possible. So I say, I'm on the match list because I know you're going to find that out anyways. And be like, oh, don't worry. We can get you processing, said everyone. So how, what happens if you apply for eight loans at once and they all decline you? Well, it's not – what happens when you apply for two loans at once and they decline you? That third is going to decline you. So now you have these open applications out there that do hard credit pulls, by the way. They all check the match list, and the guy always telling you, don't worry, I'm your savior. I talked to 58 individual merchant processors. Oh, God. And to be clear, the reason you did not just set up a new legal entity is that you needed to personally guarantee personal credit. They check your personal social security number, address, name on this list. Got it. 
So your reaction was sweet when the client said, hey, let's buy you. And where did it go from there? Did you propose so, a price? Did they come up with an offer? Like, how did that work? Um, let's see. I said, full disclosure, here's all the things that are going on. So they were probably like, oh, good. We'll get it at a discount. And I was just like, that, that, at that point, I was just like, I don't care. Like, I just, I really don't. I just don't want to live my life in this circumstance anymore. Um, especially when I had another business. Part of the worry, too, was my other business also was accepting credit cards. Okay. So, and at the time, still processing on a separate Stripe account. And how is that possible? Given that I know. I know. You, you Great question. <laughs> I still don't know. They never they hadn't figured out that it was the right. same. That's how bad their algorithms are. But you don't know at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming they shut me down, not only shut me down, put me on the match list. Well, they're probably gonna do a comb through of every account that I'm the signer on and shut those down too. Guess what? They didn't. But I didn't know that. Mm. Right? So now it's just it's kind of like this Im potential impending doom. Guess what? That stripe account is still active. I don't use it anymore, but it's never been shut down. Hmm. Wild. Um, so anyway, we basically, um, uh, they, they were in a position where they had never bought a company before. I was in a position where I'd never sold a company before. Um, I literally went to all the resources that I've ever learned from to remind myself, like, how should this go? <laughs> um, and one of my mentors um, really helped a lot with just understanding the high level of the thing. Um, what and I'm like, tell you? I don't really know like what are you guys thinking you know get them to throw out a number first in the negotiation to see like where your starting point is um and the number that they threw out in their starting point i'm just like that's actually kind of better than i was hoping for <laughs> um and so we um essentially you know they quote unquote did their due diligence um and i sent them everything that they need. You know, I was, I was pretty buttoned up and organized cause I wanted to get this thing done. Um, and, uh, within about 45 days, um, we signed the thing over. I ended up technically, I sold the assets of the business, um, not the actual business entity itself. So they acquired the assets under a new entity. Um, and that's pretty much how it went down. And that was going to be my next question about shares versus assets. And that's important because for them to keep their merchant processing clean, they would yep. need to be processing on their entity as opposed to yours. So they bought the assets. Got you. But in so doing, the liabilities of your business, the legacy business they bought the assets for, carried on to you personally did what did you do to um insulate yourself from the the risk that you were continuing to take uh, since they didn't buy the actual entity itself yeah so the good news is um they basically like i i believe what happened is they all contacted all of our clients and basically said hey we're moving over everything's going to be the grass is greener on the other side all the crap's going to go away. Um, and successfully, I don't know the exact numbers, but I, they did okay, I guess. Um, and then I was basically, 
I had to, I had probably about six months of like open random disputes and like stuff like that. But I was like, at that point I was just like, it was kind of just a sigh of relief to be honest with you. So um, the six months of, of, of disputes you kind of inherited because they were with you and the old entity yeah. that you had not sold. And how did you sort of settle those out? The, the legacy disputes. Um, those are actually relatively easy because of just our contractual terms. Like I actually, like we won like 98% of every dispute that was ever, that ever happened. Mm. Um, it wasn't, you know, uh, for, if you're watching this and you were one of those people, I'm sorry. <laughs> I learned my, learned my lesson and, um, my bad. Um, I don't know what else to say. Um, I don't feel great about it. We'll just put it that way. But also it was kind of one of those where it's just like, well, I'm not going to like risk my financial future. It's just like, I'm not going to be a martyr, you know, like I'm just, I'm not going to do that. So I just had to make that decision of just like, well, I could, how do I want this story to play out? Um, and that was just not the story I was about to write. Um, so Anyway, it was it was actually not that there wasn't a whole lot on the back end of that aside from now I still like had this merchant processing thing where I was on the match list and long story short within a couple months after that I actually got introduced to a guy very serendipitously um who owns a very large merchant processing company and he said don't worry I can get you processing but I went for it and literally within 24 hours my other entity was processing with this company and I'm still processing with them to this day. Hmm. And I, I, if, if, if there's any crap that, and by the way, I've had the one chargeback I've had out of thousands of transactions in the last, I guess it's been three years now got reversed by the client cause it was a mistake. <laughs> so I've learned my lesson, have had no other, uh, crap and I'm still, tr I'm still processing with that company today. Isn't that wild? So, and so that, yeah. When when the acquirer came to you and and you got them to kind of throw out a number, and your reaction to that was, "Wow, that's like better than I'd hoped for," or something to that effect. Um, I don't recall the exact details of like what the initial offer was. I remember, um, I remember it being higher than I thought it was going to be. I also knew at this point, I have zero leverage in this negotiation at all. And it was, you know, it's just like, what it is, what it is. Like I, you know, and, um, so, and it was fine. Um, it wasn't like, you know, like I said, this is not some epic heroic story. Um, it was more like I got a lifeboat and I jumped on it and I didn't, go down with the ship and it, luckily everyone else got a lifeboat too and everybody else got out alive basically yeah and and that's a uh, that's a moral of the story for sure how did you structure and again we should we should be clear we talked before we hit record that you could not reveal the name of the acquire nor the, yeah. the acquiring price so i totally get that i want to respect that so if folks are wondering why we can't get into those details that's 
that's some of the backstory. But I'd be curious to know how you structured it, uh, because to to your point, you didn't have a lot of leverage. They were effectively taking on a bit of risk as well. I would imagine. Like, did it was it a cash payment, a hundred percent up front, or was it sort of uh, staged? There was a, did- yeah, there was a there was a cash payment up front, and there was an earnout. I think it was a two year. And the earnout was that tied to revenue, profitability, client retention. Like, how did they structure uh, that piece? Revenue, revenue. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah, that makes that makes good sense. Well, it's um, it's the reality. It's not always the pretty reality, but yeah. it's the reality. You, of a lot okay, of these so deals. here's one thing that you might find. So I'm a I'm a I'm a bit of a gamesman, right? So, and I also like, I have a line that I draw somewhere, even if I have no leverage. What was really funny, um, looking back on this, I, I, you, I'm, all I can do is shake my head. But we got, um, we agreed on terms and it was fine enough um, for what it was. And I didn't, but then on the actual final, like, day, they try to like cut the front upfront payment in half at the table. And it was me, my golden retriever buddy (laughs) and those two guys. And they were like, well, we've done a reassessment of all all the bullshit, you know, and, um, be for this reason. And I'm just like, then no deal. Like we we've got to this point, like really over what what a, the dollar amount was it wasn't insignificant, um, but it was just like over this, over that. That's what you're gonna do right now. What was their justification? Uh, just you know they knew they had more leverage and um, basically like the the disarray that you know we've talked about for the last you know, 45 minutes or whatever. But what I did know as a, here was the leverage that I did know I have, which is why I put my foot in the ground is I know they had never bought a company before. So I also knew that they kind of like didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know what I was doing either, but I'm good at spotting when somebody else doesn't know what they're doing. (laughs) So what they had done, and I was hoping they were going to do this because I, of course, until a deal is done, it's not done. No matter what anybody says, it's not done until the money's wired and the contract's signed and the shit's transferred. Um, what they had done, which I thought was beautiful along the way, and I just let it happen because I knew that was the only leverage that I had, was very early in the process, they started integrating their whole team with my whole team really early in the process. And they had like weekly meetings and like all this stuff for like a month and a half. And like even more than that. And so now I'm like, if they don't do this deal, like they're the guys who are about to go in and buy a company and their whole company's like, yay, we're going to go buy a company. And like everybody's on board and excited about it and all this stuff. And so they had like really integrated with our team and our team was really excited about it and they got along real well and all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, great. Well, now, if you don't do a deal for this little dumb thing at the end, you got to go back to your team and explain to them why all this shit that you just promised them for the last two months isn't going to happen anymore, and your whole team's morale is going to go down into the toilet. 
So I didn't say this, of course, but I know that that's the scenario. So I'm just like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. That's not what's about to happen. I'm out. And then like there was literally just silence and I just shut the hell up. And probably about a minute went by and uh, my golden retriever buddy was like, okay, well, I don't know that we like necessarily got to this point to like not have a deal done. Like, so what do we need to do? You know, he's just, just comes in as the good cop, you know? And um, so they're like, okay. And I'm just like, look, we agreed on these terms. We're doing these terms. Let's just get like, what do we need to spend another week and a half talking about this amount of money? What are you doing? Just no, go build what you're going to build and stop trying to nickel and dime me. They're like, okay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that was the, that was the last little maybe piece of drama that, um, yeah. So of... did, did you make any concessions in that meeting or no? just they asked for a half off and you said no. And they, yeah, they pretty much. Cause I knew as soon as I, I said, all right, fine, then no deal. And then I shut up. Cause I knew, like I knew, especially with the type of guy and like what this company was like, they're big on do what you say you're going to do company culture, people serendipitous, this and that and the other. And he's got to go back and explain this whole thing if it doesn't go through and he's going to look like an idiot. Yeah. Um, so I knew that pretty much like either he was an idiot, which I know he wasn't. He was just trying to sneak one in there. Uh, but he's not an idiot. That I do know. Very, 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 very smart guy. And uh, also a friend. And I like him. I respect him. And a fantastic person. And because of that, I knew that's why he wouldn't, he wouldn't totally pull the, after all of that two months of literally derailing their own opportunity cost of their main venture and all this stuff, you're going to do all of that and then walk away over that. I knew he wasn't going to do it. So yeah. I didn't make any yeah. concessions. Well, it ultimately worked out in the end. And I love your characterization of the light lifeboat because you and all your employees got a, a lifeboat exit yeah. out of it, which is, uh, which is to be commended Are you up for a quick lightning round of questions before we uh, do it. bail. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, you've answered my first one in advance, which was always going to be, what's the, the sort of trick that people pull on you. I'd love to ask you if you can rewind the process in your mind, what you think your biggest mistake was in the exit process. And in, in, in particular, um, we've talked all about the, the business, but, just specifically that window of sort of negotiating the exit? You know, I thought I, I honestly, it happened way before the, the big mistake I had was growing the company way too fast. Um, mm. it, I don't have it. There wasn't, I, I played the exit, I think about as good with the hand that I had as good as I had. Um, I, the mistake in the exit was I didn't build the company super awesomely well so that I could get an enormous multiple so that I could sell it for nine figures or something like that. Um, the mistake was made way in the beginning, but it was basically made out of ignorance and it was, it was my first time. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was that. What was the highest moment that you experienced during the process of exiting? Um, after probably, 
<laughs> probably after the I didn't have any uh, I didn't make any concessions, and after my bold move in the uh, bold move in the boardroom, they just said okay, fine. That was probably the highest. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice to sort of put your foot down and and <laughs> win, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. As you prepared for your exit, you mentioned that you sought out some resources. You, you mentioned a, a mentor of yours you reached out to. Was there anything you discovered? You've already been very generous with your praise for Built to Sell, so I, I thank you for that. But were, is there anything else out there, uh, an online course, a book, a podcast that you listened to or watched that you could point people to that you found helpful about educating yourself about the exit process? Um, anything by Keith Cunningham. Keith Cunningham, um, okay. Yeah. Um, I did not take this particular program, but I, he mentions a lot of the same higher level stuff in a lot of his books and whatnot. He has a, uh, it's how to buy or it's how to buy or exit a business is literally a whole thing. Um, and for those of you who don't know Keith Cunningham is he's the rich dad from rich dad, poor dad. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. So yep. we'll, we'll put that, uh, in the show notes at builttocell.com. That's super helpful. Mm -hmm. um, what did you buy yourself as a trophy? <laughs> um, I don't, nothing at that particular time. Um, I, I didn't, at that time, there was no, there was no trophies. The trophy was the peace of mind. Um, honestly, that peace of mind came after I got the a, a brand new shiny clean merchant account that I could actually accept credit cards, um, in a business. That was amazing. So that was like, that was my, that was my trophy, but it wasn't like I rewarded myself for a job well done. It was kind of like, well, we, we made it out alive and I'm just going to relax for a second for the first right. time in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great story and, uh, I appreciate you sharing it with us. What, uh, is the best way for folks to reach out to you. Tell me a little bit about the book and, and how they can maybe get a copy of that. What's yeah. So, um, I now have a uh, coaching business where we coach entrepreneurs, specifically coaches, consultants, agency owners, service providers on more so the mental side of things. Um, so basically a lot of businesses these days, like, you know, you, well, you know, Warren Buffett says, if you can't manage your emotions, you can't manage money. So I we have heard a, that, but I think that's a great quote. Yeah. Okay. So we have a system that basically is not only emotional management, it's emotional mastery, basically keeping your shit together so that you can handle stuff and execute and focus and stay consistent and do all the things that you know you should be doing. Cause most likely if your business isn't where you want it, you know what probably you should be doing. You're just not doing it. We fix that problem. And so I have a book called the seven deadly business owner mindset sins. And so if you are not where you want to be, you're probably committing one of these sins. It's free, the ebook version anyway. Uh, go just go to bulletproofentrepreneur.co. I couldn't get .com, so it's bulletproofentrepreneur.co. Um, and we have that. We have a free community of like 12,000 uh, coaches, consultants, agency owners, um, service providers that we have a free course that has over 30 hours of training in it. All that, just go to my website. There will be links, and we have just an enormous amount of free stuff. Awesome. So that's bulletproofentrepreneur.co. You got it, baby. We'll also put that in the show notes at builttosell.com. Well, John, I appreciate you sharing your story. 
Hey, John, it, uh, it's been a pleasure, and, and thank you again for writing Built to Sell. It's been uh, a huge catalyst in my journey. And there you have it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation with John Whiting. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's episode, along with definitions of some of the more technical terms referenced, you can visit the episode page, which can be found at built to sell. Whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify or on our website, if you're not subscribed to the podcast at builttosell.com, I would highly encourage you do so. You're not only going to get reminded of when a new episode comes out, but you're also going to get articles, updates, some special offers and more. So highly encourage you to subscribe at builttosell.com. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling the audio engineering. And thank you to the entire community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. I'm Colin Morgan. Talk to you again next week. 